Open your Bibles to 2 Kings 6, and I'll quit messing around. This don't look like a night for it. 2 <laughs> Kings 6. When you hear what I'm going to preach on tonight, sure not going to help your supper. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Do you have it? All right. I will talk to you tonight on the text on the subject of devouring one another. Devouring one another. Listen to what the book says. It came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for four score pieces. Four score meaning 80 pieces of silver for an ass's head. Now, wouldn't you love to have ass head soup? <laughs> 80 pieces of silver just to have an ass head. Now, look. Now get this, it gets worse. And the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. So just for a little dump of dove's dung to eat, five pieces of silver. Now doesn't that make you hungry? Now let's read on. As the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. He said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press. In other words, it doesn't matter. They're both empty. They're empty. When the king said to her, What aileth thee? And she answered and said, This woman said to me, Give thy son that we may eat him today. And we'll eat my son tomorrow. Obviously, they were newborns or maybe uh, barely born or maybe not even born, maybe aborted babies. And so we boil my son. And by the way, God would refer to an aborted baby as a son. God's God's not going to say that we don't know what they are, some kind of glob of protoplasm until they get out of here. We know exactly when they were conceived in the womb, who they were, what they were. And the soul and the breath of life was going to be breathed into them when they come to this world, but they were already had a purpose. Now, listen to what he said. So he boiled my son to eat him. And I said to her on the next day, give me thy son to eat him. And she had hid her son. This the king's hearing this. So Benedad seeks Elisha's life. Came to pass when... The king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. In other words, he was mourning. He was grieving the situation they were in, starving to death all through the city, couldn't get out to get water, couldn't get out to get food. They're starving. They're thirsting to death. And he said, God do so and more to me if the head of Elisha the Shaphat shall stand on him this day. Here was the best defense this king had, and he's going to kill him himself. Elisha told him every move to make, 
hadn't it already been wiped off the map? And so now he says, this is Elisha's fault. Preacher gets blamed for every stinking thing. He blamed it for If Elisha was what he ought to be, this wouldn't be happening. Notice what it said. But Elisha just sat in his house. I like, I like how Elisha, if you want to say somebody's cool, Elisha was cool. Look, he sat in his house, the elder sat with him, and the king set a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Say, this son of a murderer hath sent to take away my head. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. It's not the sign of his master's feet behind him. In other words, here comes the guy. He's coming to cut my head off, but said uh, we're ready for him because I already knew he was coming because God already told me. And so just as soon as he walks through the door, y'all grab him, hold him behind the door, keep his mouth shut, stuff a sock in it, whatever you have to do. And then the king's going to come right behind him to see the dead prophet laying there. Now, I don't understand how that because of Elisha they could kill thousands, and yet he thinks he can send one bad dude in there to take his life. But that's what sin will do for you, folks. It'll make you think you can do things you cannot do and will put you in a situation to ruin your life. That's what happens right here. And so while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down to him and said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? He said, Why should I wait on God? I wait on God enough. This God's fault anyway. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, Shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria? And then a Lord on whose hand the king lead, leaned and answered the man of God. And this is supposed to be one of the servants of Elisha. And said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? In other words, he was mocking him. And he said, Behold, Elisha said to him, Behold, thou shalt see it with thy eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. So tonight, just for a while, let's talk about devouring one another. Oh, if you would like an interesting title, we could call it Cannibal Christianity. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, speak to us tonight. There's nothing funny about the shape we're in in America. There's nothing funny about the shape we're in in our families. There's nothing funny about the shape our children are in. There's not anything funny about our state government, the corruption that runs through it. Nothing funny about the corruption that runs in Wilson County. It's not funny, God, that there's homosexualities even being discussed, much less bills placed before the House and Senate. God, we're in a mess tonight. God, help us to understand that the only one's going to get us out of it is you. I've done figured that out a long time ago. We are not going to get it done ourselves. 
So God, by your grace and your power, I do not believe this nation will ever turn around. But would you let just a little portion of it turn around right here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and let us see a great revival before I go home to heaven. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, I might could use just a little bit more here, guys, tonight, please. Uh, as we look at this text, it is kind of one of those texts that you just don't read and say, tonight, you know, our, our devotions is going to be before we go to bed, people eating each other. That's not what you normally talk about. But this story is one of the most degraded, depraved, disgusting story that you can find in the Bible, maybe other than the one in the book of Judges. And yet one that shows just how low men will stoop to satisfy their desires. Isn't that sad? Their own frustrations, how selfish and how self-centered are, how depraved our human nature for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'll boy your baby today and boy mine tomorrow. What a shape we're in. Amen. What a shape they were in. Let's look at, first of all, the conditions in verse 24 and 25. A great shortage of food had arisen because Syrian troops had surrounded the city, so no one could bring in supplies or go for supplies. So it was a desperate time for them. Note verse 23, in case you're wondering why the things happen, this is not a contradiction of Scripture. In verse 23, it says, So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. This, this is what happened here. So the bands of Syria came no more to the land of Israel. But in Luke verse number 24, And it came to pass after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. You see, Elisha stopped that last deal, that last deal. He let them go. He was good to them. We talked about that last week. But now, instead of him sending a smaller group, now he sends all he's got, every one of them, to surround this city, to watch them starve, to watch the little babies bellies pop out and, and, to, and to watch them grow from, from men of strength to nothing but skin and bones and to bring them to the place to where they're ready to eat each other's body. So this hard-hearted king didn't send an ambush squad, but every soldier he had this time, and I think that's the reason that Benahad, Benadad wanted to kill Elisha. I think he said, if Elisha had done what he ought to the last time he was here, we wouldn't be dealing with this now. Yes, he would. Elisha did exactly what he was supposed to do the last time. In fact, not one hair was hurt on one person of Israel, right? Nobody in Samaria was hurt. Nothing, nothing. Elisha did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was good to them, and the goodness of God leads to repentance. So, it could be that that whole band of soldiers got saved. Who knows? God opened their eyes. That they was able to see things they'd never seen before. It may be they got saved. But he now brings not just a band, but he brings every person he has to surround this little city. This hard-hearted 
king we have here is after Elijah for he's blaming him for it. So no more smaller groups, but the whole Syrian army encamped around Samaria. I guess this small group stuff's all right. And I know Sunday school is something we need in our churches. But I'm going to tell you something. You know where we should be get charged up is when God's people all get together. And when they do, they get to shouting. They get to praising. They get happy in God. They get strong in the Lord. They get encouraged in the Lord. They get lifted up. They get ready to charge hell with a water pistol. That's what worship is about. The smaller groups are not able to get the job done. It's going to take a larger group in this day in which we live. And we're going to have to make some, if we're ever going to make some progress. Can I just get a little help here? So tonight, this, and for those people that you run into today that says that we don't believe you ought to preach politics from the pulpit, well, what about this? I'd have to quit. I couldn't preach this tonight if that was the truth. Every bit of this is political. You got, you got one group who's making political decisions. Uh, you have tables of, of uh, uh, caucuses going on in one place, and then you have caucuses going on in another place, and you have King getting information from his entail, and you have other King getting information from his entail. And here was Elisha, the very best the very best defense they had, the chariot of Israel. So, folks, I'm going to tell you, um, it was a political book then, and it's a political book now. Everything in the Bible that the devil tries to do, I ain't going to say everything, but almost everything in the Bible that the devil tries to do, he uses political scheming to do it. And dumb Baptist has went to the polls and voted for the very people that the devil wanted to vote for and yet will sit and tell you they don't believe in same-sex marriage. They don't believe in aborting babies, but they'll vote for them every time. I didn't mean to get off on that, but that's pretty good. So famine came to God's people when they were out of touch with God's will, just to be, you get out of touch with God's will, you know what's going to happen to you? Famine. Y'all listen to me? You get, you, you get, you, things going to dry up in your life when you quit walking in the will of God. Nothing's going to bear fruit. It's going to be those times to where it's just, it's just going to seem so dry. It's going to seem so empty. It's going to seem so barren when you're just out of the will of God and you know you're out of the will of God and, and, and you're disobedient to God and you know you're disobedient to God and, and, there, and famine comes to the land. So famine only comes for that reason. God had already told them, if you'll do what I tell you to do, you'll get your rain. You'll get in the spring, you'll get in the fall. I'm going to give you your rain. I've been there when it's come. <laughs> I, 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 I've even been there when it snowed, when it sleeted, when it rained. And, and, and it might rain up in the north, not rain in the south. It may rain in the south and not rain 10 miles from it. But 
God said, I'll make sure you get your rain. So when the rain cuts off, what does God do? God said, y'all not living right. That ought to be enough. Folks, listen to me. When our churches start drying up, that ought to be news to us that we're not obeying God. And I'd say they've dried up. Dried up. I had a guy that drove all the way down here from someplace in Kentucky to see our church because he could not believe that a church this size had a preacher that would preach what I'd preach. He couldn't believe it. It astonished him. Isn't that, folks, that's sad. That's sad. When a young preacher believes in his mind that if you ever pastor a church of any size, you cannot preach hard the Bible. That made me want to sit down and weep for that young man. Because there's hundreds just like him that thinks the same thing. I'm helping two or three right now, or trying to, that, that, that they, they see it that way. You know, I, I, I'll never get where you are. I said, yes, I, I can get anywhere. God's the one to get you there. And if God wants to get you there, he'll get you there. But till you get there, you do what God tells you. You stay in his will, and God will see that your deeds are met. Can I get just something so notice the condition. They were held hostage in their own land. They were held hungry in their own city. And they were held helpless among their own people. Not one person among them could do one thing. Now, churches wind up in that same situation. Y'all still with me? Churches are besieged many times with that enemy, and they, 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 they get the spiritual meals can't get to them because the enemy steals the hot meal before the preacher can get the cold out. He just preaches a cold sermon because the devil has took the heat out of the message. That's what happens here. Churches die when preachers don't at least turn the microwave on before they come over here. At least turn the microwave. They just gather around to keep the church from going bankrupt. And, and by the way, you probably know them too. Well, we're going we, to do what we have to to keep the doors open. We're going to do what we have to to keep the doors open. Why? If all you're going to do is do something to keep the doors open, let them close and go somewhere else where you can make do some good. And I hate to hear those words. Well, we've got to do something just to keep the doors open. Why? My God... My God's able. I said, my God's able. And he's able to supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And we don't have to sit around like a bunch of paupers saying, well, we got to do something just to keep this thing going. Friend, I'm telling you, Jesus did enough on the cross to keep this thing going. And that's what's happening. Now, they didn't intend to storm the city. That's something unusual here because most of the time, a large army uh, in a smaller city, they would storm and set, set the fire. Soon the, 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 soon the rock would start to crack. It's soft limestone. It would start to crack. It would fall. When it did, they would start tumbling in. Many would die just because of that. And then they would, oh, the enemy would charge right up. That's not what they're going to do here. They're not going to charge. They're just going to starve them out. 
Now, God had told them this was going to take place if they got away from God. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy. I want to read something to you. Now, while you're looking for the book of Deuteronomy 28, book of Deuteronomy 28, y'all looking for it? I want you to write these two other verses down because I'm not going to have time to go there. I want you to write Jeremiah 19, verses 8 through 15, and especially verse 15. And then Leviticus, chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. Now, this is what God told his people Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 28, verse number 53. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body and the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness where thine enemies shall distress thee. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate his eye shall be evil toward his brother. In other words, he's going to say, you look like a T-bone steak to me. You look like a can of beanie weenies to me. He's got his eyes on him. Look, look, even go. Hey, he don't stop. And toward the wife of his bosom, he looks at his wife and said, you look like a Caesar salad to me. That's how bad it got. Isn't that sad? But God predicted if they got out of his will, this is what would happen under the laws of God. So where they find themselves right here, they know enough scripture to go back and say, we know why we're in this shape because we're out of God's will. And what they ought to have done was called a prayer meeting and everybody got on their knees and said, God, please help us. We repent of our sin and for our disobedient ways and for our idolatrous minds and for our wicked ways. Oh, God, forgive us and cleanse us and start naming our sins and confessing our sins if we're child of God. Because listen to me, if you don't, if you don't confess your sin, if you're a Christian if you never have been saved, you don't have to confess your sins. You just have to confess them as a group. How many can you remember all the sins you committed before you got saved? I can't. I can't remember how many I committed in one day before I got saved. But when you become a Christian, things change. And when you start to confess your sin before God, you just don't go to God, God, forgive me of my sin. God said, I don't hear that mess. You confess your sin. You confess it to exactly what you've done. You name it to me because I watched you do it. And those people all got on their knees and said, God, we got in this shape because of our sin, and we're confessing that sin to God. Can somebody help me a little tonight? I know it's a hard night. You must have not got your, mat, your nap or your grandkids came over and kept you from it or something, but... You say, well, we'd never do anything like that. We wouldn't? Hmm. I think we would. You don't mind giving your kids technical tools that has on it things that will absolutely destroy their life. That don't bother us. Don't bother us at all. And today, incest is as common 
uh, almost as natural type uh, bursts because incense is not a problem at all. In fact, in some places it's even legalized to have incestuous relationship with your own children. How smooth, how sick, how sick. You say, well, I'm one of those people and I need some help. Well, God will help you and I love you and I want you to repent, but I hate that stinking sin because it's the lowest lowest sin on the totem pole when you read Romans chapter 1. Child pornography absolutely just blows my mind how they take little children and ship them all over the world and all over the country into places where we'll never see them again and turn them in to, to, to addicts just so they can use them just for their flesh. And we say, we wouldn't do that. We're doing it now. Amen. And paying for it with welfare money, paying for it with all of these other things that we offer free. Something's wrong with that. That's a city that's quit obeying God. That's a city that's got the will of God. And if you'll notice, some folks are starting to get into famine. Can I just get a help tonight? So churches do the very same thing. They sacrifice their children to stay cold. And we'll come down here and say that again because y'all didn't hear a word of that. Listen. They'll sacrifice their children rather than change their lives and their church get on fire so they can stay cold and they don't have to move out of their comfort atmosphere. And they'll let their kids grow up in that kind of mess. I may have to quit tomorrow, but I swore that before God, in a covenant before God, when I was first called to preach that I was raised up in dead churches, that's all I ever knew was a dead church. And I said, God, when you called me to preach, I ain't much of a preacher, and I'm probably not going to be one. But I got a temper, and somehow you must be able to use that somewhere. And I said, if I have to pastor a church where we can't get enough people to come out on Sunday night, I'm I'm resigning. If we can't have enough folks to get here on Wednesday night, I'm resigning. We'd have 12, 10 here on Wednesday night when I came here. And I'd say every day, God, you build it. If you build it, I'll keep working hard. God, if you help me, we'll keep working hard. But a lot of churches don't want to go anywhere. They want to stay cold. Because when they start warming up, they've got to do some things for God a lot different than the way they're doing them now. They can't travel all weekend playing ball and leave the house of God out. They, they, can't, they can't go to every activity that their child is involved in so all over the country or wherever it is and, and say, well, it's okay because it's my child and I didn't get to do that as a little girl. Well, so what? That's not why your kids is gnawing the legs off the table. They're doing it because you raised them up in a cold, dead, disobedient atmosphere. They're starving them to death. Divorce and miserable marriages devouring our children. Broken homes is killing our kids. Marriage means nothing anymore 
We live together like it's nothing. You know why most of the time we do it? For financial reasons. Is that, is that does, not, does something just not sound right about that? We can't obey God because if we do, we won't get all this government help. I think the last time I read the Bible, if you want W-O-R-K, you don't deserve to E-A-T. Maybe I missed that, but that's why I understood it. So some of us devour them by dreaming them and all these pleasure and all these things without God in it that they thought they never had. And so they dream all these things for their children, and all it does is get them away from God. Amen. Wives and husbands, brothers and sisters chewing on each other. When things get financially tied or or when things in the house gets a little tense because somebody's a little mad at each other and, and things happening in the spirit, we're chewing on each other. Deacons chew it on each other. I thank God we've got good deacons. They hadn't, we, there's just a few Michael Tyson bites out of a few of them, and that's all. They've done good, proud of them. But the devil brings the church during times of famine. You know why he puts the church during times of famine? You know why he puts the church through times of hardship? You know why he puts the church through times that ticks people off and they got a stinking attitude and a rotten mind? You know why God does that? To see what we look like. We devour each other. Chew on each other. Gnaw on each other. I didn't look what Brother Glenn said today. Did you? No, I didn't. I ain't going to go on the next holiday. No telling what he's liable to say that day. I'm going to say the same thing. If you want to lie to your kids, you lie to your kids. But there's going to come a time when you've got to say you lied to your kids. You say, well, I think God will understand that. He'll understand you lied. So the devil begins a church during times of famine and they quit walking with God. And so instead of eating the hot, fresh food from the word of God, they start eating on each other. Can I get a witness? Now, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5. Please look there, please. Galatians 5. I'm going to go quick and get you all out because Cracker Barrel told me they'd already cooked up a bunch of stuff because they knew a bunch of you all would be out there after a while. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Do you have it? For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. In other words, if you want to do your gobbling on somebody else, next thing you know, somebody's gobbling on you. Mm, don't this leg taste good? Woo! Let me have a little of that arm. I'll bite that thing all the way to the elbow. I'm telling you the truth tonight, and you know it. We like to, we're basically no better than cannibals who do no better to missionaries came and told them. First Peter 5, 8. When you find one devouring, you know who it is? It's the devil. He's the great devourer. 
So when you're devouring your brothers and your sisters, guess what? You know whose team you're on? Team devil. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you hear what I said? Team devil, because he's the father of lies. He's the great devourer. Galatians makes it very clear. Do not bite and devour each other. You know why you do that? Because you're spiritually empty. You're spiritually hungry. You're spiritually not where you need to be with God. So you chew on each other. Every now and then there'll be somebody. And they'll even have the face to tell me, well, you know, I just wasn't getting fed over at Hillcrest. Well, what's wrong with you? You must have a stomach problem. You definitely got an ear problem. Something's wrong with you. Now, it may not be the best cooked meal in all the world. It might be overcooked. It might be undercooked. I mean, I don't know. But I'll guarantee you one thing. It's going to be hot. Going to be hot. It might not be brand new. It might be old hot. It might be a, a, a few years old a hot. Or it might, be a, it might be a brand new hot. But it's going to be hot. And the reason you're chewing on each other is you're not listening. And you're not listening because you don't want to grow. And when you don't grow, you start chewing on each other. Next thing you know, you're out of church and you're eating fast food, rotten, stinking, maggot food, and calling it Christianity. I don't even like to say it like that, but that's the only way to describe it. Parasites. Dignified parasites. Moral cannibals. Refined headhunters. With clothes on. <laughs> The devil can starve us, friend. He can devour us. Please hear me tonight. I, I'm not lying to you. If the devil can starve us, he can devour us. One day, Glenn Dent won't stand in this pulpit. And the next man you have to be, I don't care if you have to hunt, search the world over. I don't care if you have to go to Australia. I don't care where you have to go to find him. I don't care if you have to go back and find you a spaceship that'll go back in time and bring John the Baptist back. Find you somebody who'll preach the word of God. Because not, you're going to be chewing on each other. Next thing you know, the church is gone. Here's the third thing, and I've got to go. There's the contempt in verse 30 and 31. His mourning didn't do any good without repentance. You see, when he started to mourn, that's great. But when you mourn, when you're broken over, over things, when you're contrite over the situation, there's got to be some repentance to go with it. And so he puts ashes on, and he's grieving, and he's mourning, not because he's disobedient to God, not because he's out of the will of God, not because he needs God, but because they're boiling each other's kids and eating them. Instead of calling a prayer meeting, instead of having a revival, Instead of saying, Elisha, come out here and preach to us. We need to know where we are. We're wrong somewhere. No. Some people, no matter how bad it gets or what happens or the judgments that occur, no matter how they disobey, no matter how they've ignored God's word, they will not confess or admit there is judgment on their sin. 
So if our church gets cold and starts down, most of all, it's going to be the preacher's fault, and I'm used to that. Don't bother me. Or it'll be the staff's fault, or the choir's fault, or the Sunday school teacher's fault, or we're not friendly fault. It'll be somebody's fault, but I'll tell you whose fault it won't be, yours, because you're too busy gnawing on somebody. I didn't mean to preach. I didn't mean, mean I really didn't mean to be mean tonight because I knew this was going to be a hard sermon to preach. But it seemed like God just keeps getting me meaner, don't he? It just, just goes down the hill. <laughs> I love all of you. I want you to go tell them folks out there what I said, all right? But let me tell you something. If you want to receive the blessing, accept the blame. All of it. Accept the blame, and he received the blessing. So we got we got some school problems. Well, maybe you got some teacher problems, or maybe you got some kid problems. Maybe it's not all the school board. It may be just need your kid needs not a school board, but a board. Oh, I got problems at work. It could be the problems at work is you because all you do is know somebody all day long. It could be health problems. Maybe. Maybe you can't do a thing about it. But complaining about your health problems and knowing on each other at the same time is not going to get anything done. Well, let's look at the calmness. Look, they go, go to... They go to Elijah, and Elijah just sits there. He said, now there, there's thousands of thousands and thousands of army out there. They're ready to come down on us. They're starving to death. People's dying everywhere. Elijah just sat there. He just sat there. Most of us have been running everywhere. We've been, we've been trying, I don't, we'd be trying to find something. We'd be pulling the refrigerators out, hoping somebody dropped a french fry up under it, or we'd be doing something just to find something to eat. He just sat there. How do you remain calm before God when you're in this kind of shape or this kind of famine? Let me give you three verses. You write them down. Psalm 112, verse 7, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings because his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Can I get Amen. Psalm 31, 15, my times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Psalm 31, 15. Proverbs 1, but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. He didn't say that he would miss evil. He just would have a peace when evil came. So everyone was fearful. But now here it is. And I'm, I just got to finish this sermon. They, they will wait five more minutes. I, I, got, I got about seven minutes left anyway. But they'll wait for you at Cracker Barrel. I guarantee you. I've told them to reserve some tables out there for them. They won't do it, but I told them. Now I want you to look at verse number one. And this all bless, if this don't bless you tonight, you don't have any blessing in you. Your blesser is just broke. Look, 
This, this was his answer. Elisha said, hear you the word of the Lord. Now, this is God talking. Elisha said, I'm telling you what God said. Tomorrow, about this time, 24 hours from now, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And then the Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, kind of mocked him and said, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? In other words, there's no way. And by the way, that guy got trodden underfoot as they was running trying to get all the good stuff that God had given them, and he got trodden underfoot. God showed him, you don't mock him when he says he's going to bless you. You receive his blessing. You don't push his blessings away. And so there's a, but here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Listen to me. Everybody, wake up everybody. Wake up your husband, your family, your wife, your kids. I don't care who's asleep. Wake them up right now. Here's what I want to show you in verse number one. He said in 24 hours, this situation is going to change. In 24 hours, everything's going to be different. 24 hours, inflation is going to be over. 24 hours, you'll never worry about another depression. In 24 hours, food will be cheap because there's so much of it. In 24 hours, your bellies will be full and your kids will be full. And yeah, in 24 hours, things will change. That's what he said. Some of you sitting here today and you're in a more, some kind of morbid economical depression. But with 24 hours from now, God could change all that. Some of you are sitting here and you don't have a job. One reason because you had not looked hard enough. Another reason is this. Maybe it just wasn't anything available for you. But 24 hours from now, everything could change. Everything could change. You could go today from poverty to plenty in 24 hours. If God can change your life in 24 seconds, <laughs> he can change the situation in 24 hours. Uh, I don't know where y'all going to get any good at this tonight, but I'm going to get blessed by it. Because I can tell you too many times when I was ready to throw in the towel and God throwed it back at me. Amen. Amen. I threw in an old dirty towel with sweat and grease and dirt and said, God, I'm done. And God throwed it back in my face white as snow and said, you serve me is what you're going to do. Amen. 24 hours, things could change. I've seen days in our life when I didn't know how I was going to feed my family. I didn't know how I was going to find a home to put them in. I was working day and night. I did everything I could in a poor place where a few people run everything and owned everything. But within 24 hours on several occasions, things changed. Folks, I want to tell you something. Hillcrest Baptist Church can change. Hillcrest Baptist Church is wanted, dead or alive. What do you want? 
dead or alive. You see, that's what he's saying. It may look bad some days, but within 24 hours, things can change. I remember, I'm just using Danny because he's my friend. We'd been praying for Danny for, and Melissa and many of you in the church, I've been to his house. We're, we're just become friends. And he said nothing was wrong with the church, nothing was wrong, it was okay. You know, I'd just about come to the place where I thought, you know, maybe Danny's just not going to come around. Just a few weeks ago, down an aisle, come Danny. He stopped there because he wanted to talk to me. And in 24 hours, Budweiser changed to a believer. Now, it may not have been Budweiser, I don't know, but glory to God, he changed overnight. And that blesses me. I'm going to tell you, Hillcrest don't have to stay like it is. If some of you'd hit the streets and go to work tomorrow with a better attitude, go to school tomorrow with a better attitude, quit running down everybody you see, quit gnawing on every Christian that you run around, quit gnawing on everybody just because they don't do what you do, and start lifting up the name of Jesus and trying to witness the people that's going to hell and let them know that there is a place of damnation. If we'd start doing that, things would start to change, and in 24 hours, Hillcrest could be a different church. You'll meet enough people this week to absolutely pack out this building. You'll meet enough people to witness to to pack out this building. 24 hours, things can change. Today you can be starving. Tomorrow you can be feasting. First from famine, then to feast. And I love this little verse. Nothing is impossible with God. If God can create the whole world in six days, you think your little life is anything for him to change in 24 hours?